within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. So this podcast is actually not going to be a follow-up on gaming from Sunday, although that will be coming probably later in the week sometime. Uh, Instead, I thought I would read a lecture that I put together. I'm uh, very excited. Uh, It's been quite busy around here lately, which is why my updates have uh, been a little infrequent. Uh, Wrapping up the semester with my concept art class, trying to shift gears at work from... uh, back into drawing comics and really struggling with the workflow for some reason. Well, some reason. I had the flu. Thank God it was just the flu. I've never been so excited to just have a regular disease and have it not be COVID. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Thanksgiving was just the other day. So it's been a, been a, busy, a busy week or two. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm gearing up for next semester, and I'm teaching what's called a topics class, where it's not an official course in the curriculum, but uh, every couple of semesters, a professor is allowed to teach a class on a topic of their particular interest, as long as it relates to the, the core uh, teachings of our, our com arts department. And so I'm teaching a class called Design for Tabletop Gaming. Uh, perhaps better known, a better name for it would be uh, Dungeons and Dragons with the serial numbers filed off. Now, the focus of the class, being an art class, is of course really um, on the art side rather than creating games. But we are also going to uh, create games and hopefully get to play a little bit of them towards the end of the semester. And this is my uh, opening lecture, and I thought you guys uh, might enjoy, and I guess I'd like some feedback too. Uh, if there's, I've got a, a couple of weeks before this goes live, so if there's anything I should add or reword, uh, let me know what you think. You can uh, leave me a message via the Anchor app, or you can go to anchor.fm and leave me a voicemail there. Just search for Camping with Owlbears. Did I say hello and welcome to Camping with Owlbears? I don't think I did. Hello and welcome to Camping with Owlbears. I am the Lonely Adventure, and this is lecture number one from Design for Tabletop Gaming. Welcome to Design for Tabletop Gaming, a topics class about RPGs. Over the course of this semester, we will be designing and populating our own game worlds. Though the focus of this course is on art, character development and environmental design, lighting and rendering, creating props and game assets. We will also spend a lot of time talking about rule systems, the history of RPGs, and how we can write our own rules and run our own games. Most of our conversations will be had within the context of the original role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, though most of what we will discuss will be applicable across multiple genres and game systems. There are many methods of world-building available to us, but for this class, we will be returning to the original style of RPG design, the sandbox. Return to the Sandbox If you've ever played an MMO like World of Warcraft, or a video game like The Legend of Zelda, the original and the Breath of the Wild alike, or even Animal Crossing, you are familiar with the concept of an open-world game. Within certain parameters, players are free to roam the world engaging in events, interacting with non-player characters or NPCs, albeit in a a way limited by the constraints of the game writers, and generally do as they please. Every video game, I'm sorry, not every video game, early video games were deeply influenced by pen and paper RPGs, and the open world game is the closest you can come to a sandbox style of play. The sandbox style of gameplay invites active player engagement in the fiction of your game world. This is possible, though more challenging with a narrative game, because the success or failure of your adventure is tied to a plot, which requires a certain degree of player passivity to work. 
A story is consumed, rather than driven, by player character actions. When PCs deviate from the game's plot, it's often a scramble to get the story back on course. This is generally bad design because the only unique thing that RPGs can offer that other media, such as books, video games, films, etc. cannot, is unlimited player choice. In a good RPG, players have agency. They can attempt almost anything. Whether or not they succeed is always in question, and this drives the player's fun and engagement with the fiction of the game world. This is not to say that all narrative game design robs PCs of agency. However, a story relies on a structure to work. There may be several ways of reaching a certain plot point, but until that plot point is reached, the game cannot move forward. This leads many writers to design games that are on rails, thus they are called a railroad because trains cannot deviate from their tracks. They can only go from one predetermined plot point to the next. This robs players of meaningful choice and gives them no reason to become invested in the game. This is also not to say that a sandbox is the opposite of a railroad. It is not. The sandbox is the opposite of playing a scenario selected by the game master or GM. The opposite of a railroad is defaulting to saying yes when the PCs want to try things that you, the GM, did not prepare for. And learning to do that in any style of RPG is one of the most important lessons that a new GM can learn. What is the sandbox? The sandbox defines a small geographic area of the game world designed to be expanded over time. It contains several small adventure sites and one, at least one large one, usually a dungeon, to be explored by the players. It is also usually contained, I'm sorry, it also usually contains a settlement, a small town or a keep, for PCs to base themselves out of. An important assumption of the sandbox was that it was a wild place on the edge of civilization or the liminal space between the mundane world and the monstrous or supernatural. Settlements were small points of light in the great dark wilderness and a central theme of the game was exploring these places. The town, a place for PCs to rest and resupply. This is usually where most early social role-playing occurs. The farther one travels from town, the more dangerous the world tends to become. The town is also the place to find rumors. Rumors and quest boards. Without a central plot to drive the game, it was up to the PCs to find their own fun. The primary engine for kickstarting that fun was the rumor table, an ever-changing list of rumors that PCs could learn by act interacting with NPCs, usually in town. The rumors table is the game master's way of telling the PCs, these are some things that I have prepared for you, and asking, would you care to investigate any of them? It is worth noting that not all rumors are true, and that highly social PCs will be better at gathering rumors than others. Your charisma score actually matters. It is worth noting here again, did I say it's worth noting? I did say it's worth noting twice, so there's an edit. <laughs> it is also worth noting here uh, that not all adventure sites and hooks have to be fully developed before Plague begins. A GM could create rough outlines for a number of locations and fully develop them once the players show an interest in exploring them, thus creating the illusion of a fully realized world without all of the associated work that goes with that. Wizards of the Coast's most recent box set, the 5e D&D Essentials Kit, is a modern take on the classic sandbox, using a quest board in place of a rumor table to generate adventure, though it does commit a few old-school sins in how it gates off progress and protects PCs from taking on anything too challenging before they are powerful enough to assure their success. This gatekeeping has the effect of removing any real tension from the game. The Dungeon You will hear me talk about The Dungeon quite a bit over the course of this semester. A more accurate term would be The Adventure Site. It is the place where the action is focused in your game. The dungeon could refer to a school for giant robot pilots, a shopping mall, a space station, or an ancient ruined city. The main thing to understand about the dungeon is that it is a location that the PCs will return to again and again over time. 
It is literally too big and too dangerous to explore in one go. It is not static. Every time the PCs interact with the dungeon, they affect it in some way. If they wipe out a tribe of goblins on one visit, something else moves in to take their place before the PCs can return. Unless the PCs thought to hire some dwarven mercenaries to move into the sections of the dungeon that they cleared. Or perhaps the PCs aided the goblin in their war against the ooze monsters instead of fighting them. Now the PCs might have earned safe passage on future visits through that part of the dungeon. Until the goblins see how much treasure the PCs are recovering from deeper inside the dungeon and plan an ambush, and so on and so on. The dungeon is potentially a place of infinite gameplay, and in fact, in the early days of RPGs, the dungeon was the game. XP for gold, or what's my motivation? You've got a map, you've got a town, you've got a list of rumors and several interesting adventure locations, so how do you get the PCs to care? By attaching a tangible reward system to those locations and rumors. Many modern games use milestone systems for character advancement. When the PCs reach a certain point in the adventure, they level up automatically. At first pass, this method is a lot smoother and easier to manage for everyone playing the game. Unfortunately, it is also completely passive. The PCs show up, survived a series of encounters, and now they level up. XP for gold, or some other tangible and more importantly, gameable item, makes the PCs responsible for figuring out how to obtain it. It puts the direction of the game in their hands and makes them responsible for their own fun. All of these things drive player engagement. Typically, one gold piece equals one experience point, but not just any gold will do. It has to be gold you recover from dungeons and monster layers. Gold earned from honest labor does not contribute to character advancement. In other words, you must adventure in order to gain experience. Gold is just the most ex obvious example from D&D. Your game might use magic acorns, elephants, gifts freely given, or monster parts used to unlock new recipes for your Dungeons & Gourmand sandbox game. Hack and Slash This brings us to an interesting side note about old-school D&D. Because everyone remembers that XP is linked to treasure and gold, but few people understand why these two things are linked. The accepted truth in modern gaming circles is that old-school D&D was a game about kicking in doors, killing monsters, and stealing their loot. However, this is not a fair assessment. Early editions of the game contained encounter rules for monster reactions and morale. It also contained a seemingly unrelated rule for determining the distance that PCs began an encounter from the monsters. But physical space, potentially friendly or at least neutral monsters who would flee or surrender if you broke the morale gave PCs non-combat options in an encounter. Negotiation, alliance, faction play, and shenanigans were all possible. Additionally, PCs in early D&D were fragile and lacked the superheroic powers that their counterparts possess in the modern version of the game. Thus, they were incentivized to use player cunning and guile rather than magic and their swords to overcome many problems. It is also worth noting that monsters were generally not worth much XP. Fighting them was a high-risk, low-reward proposition. But where's my story? Story in the Sandbox is emergent and retroactive. Emergent because no one, including the GM, knows what is going to happen from session to session. Retroactive because it takes the creativity of the PCs and the GM looking back on the game and piecing together a story from what just happened. As an example, in my current game, there is a PC with a shovel. In order to save on inventory space, they stopped carrying a sword and would pull out the shovel any time enemies came too close for them to use their bow. Over time, and completely by accident, the shovel delivered the killing blow in more than one tense monster battle. It became talked about in text chains and conversations away from the gaming table. 
Eventually, as it took on a life of its own, I, the GM, decided that this ratchet old shovel was actually a magical weapon with a glamour cast upon it, and as the PC used it, they discovered more about its secret powers. Thus, emergently and retroactively, the Shovel of Doom was created and woven into the ongoing story at our table. Conclusions. In our next lecture, we will talk, take a look at some of the procedures and mechanisms that make sandbox play different from narrative adventure games, and we'll talk about the dungeon as a mythical underworld. But that's all I've got for now, so any questions, let me know. Or, in our, your case, call in and leave a message. Lonely Adventurer out. <laughs>